The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to this free episode of Dunk Don, including Brooklyn Nets and Oklahoma City Thunder season previews and my Monday Daily Dunks. If you're not yet subscribed to Dunk Don Prime, And considering you're listening to this, you're probably not. It is not too late to get our John Hollinger sale for the full season. You can join at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm to get more content like this five days a week instead of only one. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. The Brooklyn Nets are one of the most interesting teams to me this season. I wanted to wait until... The end of the preseason, I'm glad we did. Last night's game I thought was actually pretty interesting. I'm glad we're going to get a chance to talk about it. Uh, We are also doing that game for NBA League Pass, uh, the alternate strategy stream on Wednesday opening night, Nets and Pels. That's going to be a lot of fun. And breaking them down, Brian Lewis, New York Post. How you doing, man? All right. I can't complain. How you been? Uh, I've been good too. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, no, can't complain. I, I can't, I can't go that far. I, that's, that's, uh, that's not, that's not in my nature. Uh, but it, if, yeah, if, if I ever say that, just know that I, it's, I'm just putting it in as a platitude. I don't really mean it, but things are good. Things are good. I just, if my daughter could get a little more sleep, that would be, uh, that'd be nice at this point. How big but, is she? Uh, we're working on it. How big is she? She just is now six months. So she was, she was okay. a, she's a playoff baby. Uh, she's, uh, but she's sleeping through the night now. No, she's not. That's the. Uh, oh, still not. Uh, she, well, so in, actually she regressed uh, like about a month ago. And so we're like, we're working on things. But uh, yeah, uh, I, we got lucky. Ours, she was sleeping through the night by three months, three, three and a half months. We thought that was us. But uh but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately we are counting our chickens a little bit too early. Um, but we're working on that. She's a delight during the day. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> so it's been nice during the off season Good. to get to hang out with her. Um, Good. and uh, it's the Brooklyn Nets seem to all be happy hanging out with each other as well. Everything's fine now, right? It's, uh, after the drama of the off season, everyone's Katie didn't even miss a practice or a game. Nothing, nothing to see here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think annoying as it is that's probably where we have to start with this team is just where they kind of are from a mental standpoint at the start of the season i mean to start the season i mean i guess they're okay the question is you know what happens if you know 20 games in they're seven and 13 you know and katie's playing 40 minutes and his teammates aren't holding up their end or he thinks steve nash isn't holding up his end and then we back in the same spot again. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's not that hard to get along right now. 
But are you getting along a third of the way into the season when you hit some rough spots? That's the question. Well, I think the biggest thing that they can put their hat on right now is that they've had some guys who are dinged, but all three of those guys are healthy. Ben Simmons is, we'll talk more about him and his role in a bit, but I mean, he's out there. He's playing in in preseason. I think there was some legitimate question of like whether he even wanted to play basketball. And, you know, I think there's clearly you have a surgery. That was somewhat of a problem. Uh, and, you know, Kyrie and KD, they can, those guys can get injured at any time, but they're looking pretty good. Like, I mean, th- with those three guys healthy and some reasonable depth, you know, I mean, that's that's a reason for optimism. Um, before we, we continue on to this season, though, I, I haven't talked to you, obviously, since last year, but what do you what did you make of KD's kind of explanation early in camp about uh, all the drama in in the offseason and now you know him kind of saying that like he's okay being here for now and and well of course they didn't trade me because like I'm too good and they couldn't get enough and all that just as a veteran watcher of this team what what was your opinion of all that I mean there are kernels of truth in all of these things (laughs) yes obviously you're not trading him for a bag of balls right and when you look at what the return for Rudy Gobert was I mean that skews the market right if you see that for Rudy Gobert obviously Sean and Joe were going to ask for the sun the moon and the stars for Kevin Durant now I want to be clear Joe Sy never wanted to trade him this was not like I don't know the 1989 Cowboys Right. Yeah. Where the Nets were looking and say, oh, well, we got swept and we're getting older. You know, we can trade him and get, you know, this plethora of things and retool. That's never what they were after. They had no intention of trading. They were going to have to be forced kicking and screaming to trade him. And they were going to do everything possible to hold on to him. And that's exactly what happened. Because in the end, Joe said, this isn't happening. I mean, I, I respect your wishes and I hear you but we're not trading you, not with what we're getting back, not with these offers, no. So I I do understand where Kevin was coming from with that. I understand his point of view, but, and we all know that Kevin is an emotional being, right? And I don't say that as a slight or a recrimination. He was upset with a number of things and the way last season went. And he got, he came to them and he made it clear how upset he was about some of those things. And some of them were valid. Now, whether they managed to fix all of those things, that remains to be seen. But they have at least addressed the issues both with him directly and off the court to the point where he's at least mollified and pacified enough to be here in camp and to be here showing up for the season opener and to give this another try, which is initially what he wanted. I mean, when you look at the contract he signed, there's not a single protection in that contract. But for him, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for a player of that caliber, not to have a no trade clause, not to have a trade kicker, you can't be more in than that, right? So no player option. The basis was this is where he wanted to be. The problem was he just got emotional after the season ended, which is understandable because if you saw him and talked to him after the season was over, he was by his standards, and he's a pretty low key laconic guy, borderline distraught. It seemed too like. It, all this really came to a head, at least in the, when it first came out from Shams's reporting, uh, when the Kyrie negotiations looked like they might be headed south. That that's kind. Of, it seemed like those were part and parcel, at least initially. Although you know that never that never really was stated afterwards. But that timing, at least to me, and maybe you can debunk this, but that timing, at least to me, was not coincidental. You're saying his initial trade demand. 
Yeah, yeah, because the day, Shams- the day, yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with it. Yeah. What I would tell you is this: they were not, they are not, and they never were completely tied at the hip. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, I mean, you notice it's not that Kevin Durant ever said, "Well, trade me wherever Kyrie's going." Right. <laughs> right. He, they, they are friends. They are friendly. They have a solid working relationship, and they are supportive of each other off the court in their endeavors. But they're not tied at the hip. That's yeah. probably the best way I could describe it. All right. So well, Kyrie was willing to stay here and wanted to stay here, even if Kyrie, even if KD left. Yeah. I wanted to get paid doing it. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that's the caveat I have to add. He wanted to be in Brooklyn, but he wanted his bag too. But he was not set on leaving Brooklyn. He wanted to be in Brooklyn and get paid. Yeah. So uh, it seems like he he's been quite the good citizen basically since it became clear that the sign and trade options were not there for him even just the trade and maybe sign me later options were not even necessarily there for him do you buy it at this point with him that that he's really committed and that we're not going to see any more weird stuff with with him missing games or no well i don't i don't think it's black and white right i don't think he's going to miss uh whatever it was 53 games yeah (laughs) like he did last year right i think he'll play more than 29 games just because we don't have any vaccine mandates yeah if a a vaccine mandate popped up again he'd be missing games man he's he's got to be a huge he's got to be just a huge baseball fan (laughs) (laughs) yes and i've listen i this is a baseball town what can i tell you and i've covered a lot of baseball and everywhere else the nfl is the beast but you can't mess with New York baseball. <laughs> you just can't mess yeah. with it. But, yeah, well, it was yeah. like eight Yankees were unvaccinated or something like that. And and uh, Eric Adams is like, well, all right, I guess this is over. <laughs> right quick. <laughs> yeah, but I, listen, I, I expect Kyrie to miss games because that's what he does. Yeah. Right? And now when you're talking about, listen, to be fair, when I'm talking about a guy who's that size, who will willingly go to the rim, and hurl his body around. He gets hurt a lot. Oh, sure. So you know, at one point, I did a you know, I did a story where I was just projecting what the minutes were, and they weren't averaging per game. I mean, total minutes for the season yeah. for every player. Yeah. And I would think Kyrie will play around sixty games. That's just pulling that out of my hindquarters. Um, but I think that's what his history shows. He'll probably play around sixty games. Um, that's probably where I see him coming in. So do I think he's going to play every game? Or, you know, some marathon, you know, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris type of season where he plays 77, 78 games? No, because that's just not him. Do I think he'll end up in the 20s again? No. He'll probably yeah. play 60 games with two, maybe three injuries. Yeah, and that's really what matters, right, is the is whether, you know, if it's injuries, then I think everyone can accept that. If it's some reason outside of injuries that, uh, you know, he's finding, then uh, which you know he's he's capable of doing but it, it it seems like at least to me that as much as someone of his ilk can be in on a season like he seems like he he's in right now and with him and KD I mean as much as last season was considered a disaster as much as it, James Harden wanted out they lost like 11 games in a row and 14 of 15 I I believe it was uh you know which is part of what was killing KD and they got swept for all that. If you look at their numbers, the last 
two years with KD and Kyrie on the court. Like just those two guys, no James Harden, doesn't matter who else. It's an absolutely devastating offense. I mean, last year with those two guys on the floor, they were plus 13 net rating and 125 offensive rating, according to our, our friends at the Cleaning the Glass site. So that's that's a pretty good foundation for this season, especially considering they have some other pretty good talent around them. Uh, yeah, I think Basketball Reference might have had him even higher. They might have had yeah. him at 14. Um, yeah. so one of the few numbers I was going to bring to the table today. But yes, they well, uh, last uh, year, last year, I, you may have gone back for two years. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I was looking, I was looking just at last year, but it, it was pretty similar. I think the first the first year before they got Harden. Yeah. I mean, well, even without, let's be fair, even without Kyrie, essentially, yeah, they were half a game out of first place when KD went down. Half a game. And they were tied in wins when KD went down. Now he comes back five and 16 later, right? And I think they're in eight. Yeah. There's a difference. And this is part of, this is part of KD's beef. He says, I get it. I'm compensated well, and I'm expected to do a lot to impact my team, but somebody's got to carry their weight. You know, this is part of what was disturbing. So what are some of the other big themes that you're going to be focusing on in in your coverage this year? I mean, you you talked about projecting the minutes. We'll get into that. But anything else you've really been concentrating on as you project this team in preseason? Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, as we discussed and touched on, keeping KD happy or at least pacified, um, that's going to be... Mollified. I I liked mollified. That was... That is that was the word, but I guess I guess a, a true wordsmith would never repeat the same word in the course of a of a podcast. So I understand. <laughs> but I mean, that's obviously priority number one. Um, ben Simmons and how he how he regains his form after a year away, well over a year away. Uh, that's that's going to be important. Uh, how physical this team can be. Not that I expect them to beat teams up because they're just not designed that way. But can they avoid being beat? I mean, can you at least be physical enough to allow all of your other great attributes to come to the fore? And I don't know. We won't know that for a while. Um, I mean, it is their glaring Achilles heel. Yeah. And question is, can they hide it enough to win at a high clip? We'll have to see that. They'll have to prove that they can. Let's let's take the, the Ben Simmons thing first. I and mean, you've seen him now in a few preseason games. What are your thoughts? It, my thoughts probably haven't changed. I mean, he fits what they need. They desperately needed defense. And specifically, when you watched him play uh, against Giannis, I mean, they needed defense in every way against every player. But they really, really, really needed a guy who can guard a big forward like Giannis. And they just haven't had it. I mean, they barely even tried LaMarcus on him. We've seen Blake try to guard him. I mean, they ran a number of different people at him last year, and pretty much all of them failed miserably. All right. So to see the job that Ben Simmons did on him, uh, with certainly with some help, Nick Claxton was on him some, um, KD was on him occasionally. Um, but to see him defend, that's, that's exactly what they needed. Um, him as a playmaker, we know he's a playmaker. So he is going to allow Kyrie to get off the ball and just cook. Uh, I don't know how long it will take him to be at his best going up and down the court, transition-wise. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much rust is there. I don't know how long that'll take. I don't know whether that's something that happens in two weeks or two months. Yeah. I have so, no idea. So you, you feel like he's, he still is not, uh, and I mean, not that this isn't understandable, but you feel like he still is not physically quite at uh, that same peak that we saw in Philly? No, 
I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, and he doesn't think so. Yeah. Um, there's another gear there. You may see it once, twice during game, as opposed to in Philly, you might see it 10 or 15 times. Um, but no, he is not where he was physically. Um, but there, I've seen, I have seen nothing to expect that he won't get there. The surgery that he had has an incredibly high success rate. He's a physical specimen. He'll be fine. Yeah. It's just, you don't know how long that'll take. Um, so, I mean, that's something that'll bear watching as the season draws on. Um, with this team, just general health is always a concern. Always. <laughs> um, you know, so does Joe Harris is saying nag longer than you anticipate? How Seth? Who gets hurt down the road that we're not expecting? Um, I'm, cu- I'm really curious to see exactly how much Nick Claxton can grow this season. I'm very curious to see that. Yeah, they've, they've got a lot. That's a good one to bring up because they've got a lot invested in Nick Claxton at this point. I mean, you know, obviously $10 million a year is not crazy, but that's, that's starting center-ish money. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they don't have anyone else, as you that's said. I, I mean, so, so yeah, do you, do you feel like he is going to be enough at, at that center position? Or they are going to need to possibly upgrade there? Well, I don't know that they necessarily need to upgrade, but I would be nervous just because of how little is behind him and how infrequently he stays on the court. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned the fact that Kyrie frequently gets banged up. I mean, Nick just has not been able to stay healthy, either in terms of injuries or illness. Yeah. Uh, These are things that have not only kept him off the floor, but he's a young player, so they've stunted his growth. Right. So I'm curious to see whether he can stay healthy and stay fit and get on the floor long enough to have an extended run. Because if if he does, I think his game has at least another level, if not two, to go to this year. If he still has to hit free throws, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, 0 for 11. That would be uh... wonderful. In the in the close, I mean, yeah, between he and Simmons in that front court, that's uh, that's that's a whole other issue. And and I, you know, mm-hmm. Claxton to me, I I think he, I've always liked him. Uh, I think he's a pretty solid guy as as a switch big. Although I I thought he had a disappointing defensive series against the Celtics. Like he, I think he can defend better one on one than he did in that series. Like I I still have visions of him getting cooked pretty badly uh, by Tatum and Brown. But I think in the yeah. in these you're saying last year's Celtic series, not the one. Yeah, he yeah, was, yeah, he was yeah. terrible in the Celtic series that they won. Two years. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm I'm talking about last year's. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think defensively, which is of course where they have the greatest need, the theory of him and Simmons and KD, and then you throw in maybe Royce O'Neal into some of these lineups, like you're. Just from a purely defensive standpoint, you could probably do some switching. Like Kyrie's been part of systems like that before earlier in his career. If he's your smallest guy, it's not the end of the world in a system like that. So that's there's some theory there. But I think one of the things that I really disliked about this team's construction last year was, and this was even true before Harden left, was they had too many lineups with two non-shooters on the floor. And I think maybe that can work when you have both Kyrie and KD in the regular season. But I thought the Celtics really took advantage of that in the playoffs. And so that fit of Simmons and Claxton together offensively, when you're not able to get out in transition in the half court, in the playoffs, that's a real concern level for me. Um, and and I maybe not upgrading that spot, but supplementing that spot to get 
just, you know, a Jeff Green type of guy, someone with some size, but who can also just stand at the three-point line and make a shot, I I think would really, that would make me feel much better about this team. Uh, I can't tell you how useful I think Jeff Green would be for this team in multiple ways. Uh, Yes, as a stretch five who could shoot, uh, so you'd be able to put four shooters around Vincent, but just also in the locker room. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, he'd be a grown up in the room. Um, he would be a steadying influence on a team that could probably use a steadying influence. Yeah, I guess they really don't. I, I mean, the, probably the closest to that guy would be Patty Mills, but I think he's probably. not. He's, he's kind of more like the Kumbaya, Steve Nash, Spurs yeah. kind of guy, you know, yeah. rather than the all right, I, I've done seen everything kind of at, you know, who can just kind of let let everything wash off of them and, and you know, still be there and connect maybe with, with uh, someone like KD. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. That's not wrong. Um, So you, you mentioned the health. I guess we should probably, quick update here. Uh, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, TJ Warren, uh, where are those guys right now? Well, I mean, TJ is the furthest off. I mean, I they're not even going to reassess him until next month. Yeah. And I don't know when next month. I don't know if we're talking November 1st or if we're talking Thanksgiving, but they're not even looking at him until November. Um, Joe Harris and Seth Curry both could be available early in the season, supposedly. Now, I don't know if either or both will be ready for Joe, opening Joe night. already played in, some in preseason, right? And now his he ankle's did, yes. acting he up played, again. Well, yeah. he played, I want to say, about 15 minutes in the opener, and he has not played since. It is not technically his ankle, it's his foot. But, I mean, in speaking to Joe, he did say, even when his ankle felt fine, he did say, yeah, my ankle's my ankle's cool. It's everything else now. Because I've just been away from playing for so long, you know, that it's all these other body parts that now have to get up to speed. Because, I mean, Joe's not a guy that misses him. Yeah. So he's also not a guy that understands how to deal with inactivity Hmm. and time away from the court and rehabbing. That's part of what happened in the first place. When he was rehabbing the first time, he probably, and he would tell you this, he probably went a little harder than he should have, overdid it, because that's Joe, and he set himself back. Um, So I, they hope he could be ready by the opener, but I I certainly wouldn't put any guarantees on that. Especially not with his team's injury history. Um, it's the, the curse you know. of Bruce Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what is going on. I do not know. Um, and Seth Curry, you know, similar boat. You know, he's progressing. You presume he'd be ready early-ish. We'll see. We'll see if that's the opener or if it's shortly thereafter. I mean, that's a lot of shooting. I mean, they're yeah. actually the one number one and two, you know, current three-point shooting percentages in the league. Um, that's a lot of shooting around uh, for Ben to kick out to. Yep. And or to ben, create space for KD and Kyrie. I think people forget on a team that wasn't a loaded three-point shooting team in Philly, he was annually the league leader in assisting three-pointers. So, I, yeah. I mean, I, I so let's, uh, let's just try to run down the roster here a little bit more. What are some of the playing time battles that – Steve Nash is going to have to sort out. How's this rotation projecting to you? Well, uh, I think probably maybe not for the opener, because if Joe's not ready, that makes that moot. But down the line, 
the fifth starting spot between Royce O'Neal and Joe Harris. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so so Simmons, Simmons and Claxton, that's, you think that's pretty written in stone as, least as far as the starting? I line? am assuming that that's written in stone just because <laughs> they don't have a lot of other options. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, yeah, they're not going to start Simmons at center. That seems pretty obvious. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I've, yeah, I've written multiple times that Simmons will play yeah. some center. I think this somehow, even though I, I try to be painfully clear and anal retentive in writing, I'm not saying that I think he's starting at center. I think he will play some center. Um, I think Markeith Morris will play some center because he doesn't move as well as he used to. His team's undersized. They don't look at him as a power forward. They look at him as a center. Um, but I think the starting center is Nick because I, I don't think De'Ron Sharp is ready to be starting at center. So I don't think you have a choice. I think by default, Nick will be the starting center. And they just have to hope he can stay healthy and stay in form long enough that they don't have to go out and make moves out of desperation at that spot. So I think the legitimately the only other fight for a starting spot would be that other spot on the wing between O'Neal and Harris. Now, they're both going to play. They're both going to get significant minutes. I just don't know whether one guy seizes the starting job permanently or whether they're back and forth or whatever. And they bring different things to the table, obviously. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easier to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because 
all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us I mean, to me, I would start Joe Harris because they just, with the, playing those two guys who have no shooting range, you got to get your best shooter uh, or one of your best shooters. Curry would be up there too, but uh, you got to get him on the floor. I, I think that would, now maybe they need, they're, they're going to need to manage him. Maybe that would change that. But um, I, I'm also a little down on O'Neal after that playoff series a year ago um because i thought he really struggled to defend in that series and so i think he may be a little a, a little overrated as a defender I, I wasn't i wasn't that uh high on that trade from the Nets standpoint to give up a first round pick to get him um but that's we'll see maybe it, it seems like he's been a little bit better uh in camp than he was in last year's playoffs so maybe a, a smaller role can help him yeah i <sighs> Well, I would say his shooting struggles last year extended beyond the playoffs, I think. And I don't have, again, I don't have in front of me, but I think they extended the playoffs with six games. I think it extended his last 16 games. So we're talking like 22 games. Yeah. I mean, he was shooting something like 25% from deep. You know, he went from being their number one shooter going into that stretch from three point range to shooting like 25% the rest of the way. Yeah. Now he did have a, maybe a, a thumb or a hand injury during that. I don't know how much of a rate. I don't know how much of a role that played in anything. I couldn't say. Um, he is probably not the defender that he was maybe two years ago, but I think I'm understating it to say that this team was in desperate need of an on-ball defender. Yeah. Desperate need. And I, I guess as we've seen from some of these trades, first round picks are devalued. Yeah. You know, it would, it would seem so. And <laughs> I mean, to me about Royce, you know, he's been, he's a career 38% three-point shooter, but it just, it takes him forever to get his shot off. He's not very aggressive with it. And when you consider that position at small forward and really playing, if he's almost going to play shooting guard for this team, 4.6 three-point attempts per 36 minutes, that's way below the positional average. So I like I view him as a below average shooter, even though the percentages are good. Like he just does. He's not someone that defenses are worried about leaving because they feel like they can get back to him and close out to him. Um, Yeah. Well, Joe and Seth have gravity. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, So they create space for whatever for Kyrie to drive or KD. I don't consider Royce O'Neal that type player. I consider Royce O'Neal the kind of guy who's going to get wide open looks from Katie and Kyrie and try to hit 38% on those. 
But he's also a much better defender than Joe Harris. So I guess it could very well depend on matchups. Maybe there are matchups where Royce O'Neal gets to start and gets more minutes. Maybe there are other matchups where they're playing Joe Harris more minutes and he gets to start. I don't know. That's why it's fascinating. That's why it's interesting, because I don't think we're going to get a black and white cut and dried answer. That's what's intriguing to me. Um, then, yeah, there are there are fights lower down that maybe aren't for starting spots, but yeah. lower down the rotation. That'll be intriguing. You know, there are a lot of guards that do all sorts of different things. You know, you mentioned Patty Mills, right? Well, there's a limited amount of minutes to go around. Uh, once you take in Kyrie and Ben and Seth and Royce O'Neal, well, how many minutes does that leave for, say, Patty Mills and Cam Thomas? There aren't that many minutes. Somebody is going to be sitting out a bunch. Of, I don't know who that is, but that's interesting. You know, that's a little, again, now we're talking further down the rotation. Sure. No, I, I, that's a really one of the interesting things as well to me. I mean, like if you just stack up the talent on this team, I mean, it's, it's really, really good. And I'm fascinated to see them this year. But yeah, I mean, if you've got both Seth Curry and Patty Mills in the playoffs, it's tough to play either of those guys with Kyrie. I think regular season, totally fine. Go ahead and do it. You're just going to outscore people, bomb some threes. Most teams, you're you're not going to get taken advantage of too badly, uh, you know, particularly if you've got Simmons and KD out there with them. Like, that's a, a lot of size uh in the front court so uh, i know simmons is technically a guard we can <laughs> we can argue yeah, that but he's, he's a seven foot wingspan guy right you right. will have three above average defenders with seven foot wingspans to guard people see and last year in the playoffs you watched it i mean in boston you're playing Kyrie and seth and patty mills major minutes right that's a horrific matchup horrific you know it's just I, I don't see how you could think you're going to win. There's almost no avenue to winning that when those three guys are playing major minutes and everybody on the Celtics basically has a six nine and a half wingspan or better, other than Marcus Smart. And he's a defensive player of the year. <laughs> I think Marcus Smart might have like a like a pretty close to seven foot wingspan too, if if memory serves. Uh so backup four, backup five. What's going on there? Well, I mean <clears throat> You've got Dayron, and they, as I said, they view uh, they view Morris as a five, not as yeah. a four. Which yeah. is the, he, the, he doesn't move as well as he used to. He was never fleet of foot anyway, uh, so he's a five. And Dayron obviously is a five. Um, and Ben will get some minutes at the five. So the question is, is that enough to soak up whatever minutes Claxton is not playing? And to do it effectively. Um, and then there will be minutes where Ben is playing at the four. Now, I have no idea when we'll ever see TJ Warren. I don't know. Um, I Personally, I separate him from my present thoughts on the roster. And when yeah. they see him, they see him. I think that's a good approach. I mean, the, he's coming up on two years now since he last played. Right. So that is not somebody that I count on at that spot. Um, and KD plays a ton of minutes. Um, you can argue, okay, effectiveness at the four versus effectiveness as a three, but on this team, that's a four. Yeah. And Ben will play some minutes there too. Um, so, I mean, I they do have reasonable bodies to throw at people, but it's a little bit of an odd hodgepodge behind the starters. No, I, I agree. I mean, do you think Sharp can contribute at all? This year, like, what are your thoughts uh, on him now going I do, into? I mean, he, I, I give him this. He's worked on his body. 
Yeah, he does he, look a lot better. I noticed that in summer league. Yeah, I mean, I, I give him that. I, you know, I don't know. He talked about his diet. Uh, you know, cutting out the, you know, the bad foods, eating healthier, staying in the gym. So, I mean, he's in better shape. Um, he had been a foul machine. I mean, it was almost like he was getting paid by the foul. Um, if that's something, I it's hard to say to a certainty how much of that he's fixed because you can't judge that in Vegas. Right. Right? You can't really judge that. You need to see him guarding real people. No offense to anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we need to see whether that's a problem that's been rectified. Um, physically, he looks better. Um, but if that is not a problem that's rectified, then again, his minutes will be limited. Yeah, but, but he, a, he yeah. certainly does seem more confident, and he is carrying himself more like yeah, an NBA player, an NBA regular. So, what do you think the closing lineup? will and or should be for this team i suppose the best way for me to answer that is with a question is nick claxton hitting free throws at an acceptable rate it's never probably going to be a good rate yeah but is it an acceptable rate if it is then your closing lineup probably doesn't look all that dissimilar from your starting line if Nick is not hitting. And I'm just going to assume that Ben won't be hitting at a particularly great clip so that you're carrying a terrible free throw shooter at the end of games. I, You talked about playing two non-shooters. <laughs> yeah. I, you can't close with those two if neither one is hitting free throws. So at that point, then, you might see them going smallish. And whomever was not starting between Joe and Royce could end up also on the floor. I mean, they're both 80% shooters last year. Uh, you could see both of them in the lineup to close games with Ben playing more as a big. You could see that. Um, now, it would. that's why I say it'd be very helpful, uh, you know, if uh, Nick can uh, tighten up at the line a little bit. Yeah, I'm interested to see. It seems like it'll be something that'll change depending on the matchup. I mean, there's some teams, you know, if they're going against the Sixers, I mean, I guess, I I mean, that's, (laughs) that's, you know, Simmons, Simmons guarding Joel Embiid, you probably don't, don't want that. I mean, my thought would be Nick Claxton is so thin anyway, that you're going to have to double team Joel. You might as well just go small and put your best offensive group on the floor uh, and try to space out Joel a little bit. Uh, But I, I don't think they'll go that way. They'll probably go with the traditional center and just, you know, they'll deal with it. But yeah, I think on most nights, I agree with you. I would slide in either O'Neal or Harris off the bench for Claxton. And I think you're just like that unit could absolutely run people out of the gym. Um, And the spacing would be really good. I guess they would switch defensively, try to make it work. They'd probably be bad on the boards, but uh, I think they could be so good offensively. It wouldn't matter. I mean, I think one that this, the way the roster is constructed, I could see a lot of matchup based lineups. I mean, there have been times last year where they were just so thin. I don't mean skinny. I mean depleted. That there, there weren't a lot. I mean, of why options. why can't it be both? <laughs> <laughs> there weren't a lot of options this yeah. year. Steve does have options now. Steve has to prove that he can deploy them appropriately, and correctly. Uh, and I do know that there is a significant segment of the fan base that has their doubts that he can do that. Yeah. But that's what he'll have to show. Yeah, I want to ask you about him. You know, obviously, Kevin was uh, quite critical of him in the meeting with Josai. And, you know, certainly I think their offense did not look good in that Celtics series. It's been 
it kind of all right Kyrie and KD just go do what you want and you're really good so we, we can score you know there's not a lot of continuity at least uh, there hasn't been previously I think Simmons might give them a little bit more of that but what do you make of the criticisms of Nash as he goes into you know a pretty critical third season here where uh if these guys are all healthy and they start off poorly you would have to imagine he would come under pressure pretty quickly right well I mean listen they just had their practice in the park over by Brooklyn Bridge and Steve was getting booed (laughs) so I would say he's already coming under some pressure from the fans um listen a little bit is probably over i don't want to say it's overblown in that there there is that segment that want him gone i don't think that's overblown i think there's a lot that goes into coaching that the average fan probably can't see what's going on and understand it um i would say they were devoid of a lot of options by the end of that season for some of the reasons that we talked about it's hard to build chemistry when your second best player plays six home games and it's hard to stand up physically to the celtics when you're essentially playing three hobbits major minutes that's (laughs) tough um but yeah i listen steve has had to grow as a coach he has to um he had a great staff around him his first year not good great I mean, Mike D'Antoni is two-time coach of the year, and I think we saw how good Ime is as a coach. Those guys are gone. Last year, uh, Jordan Ott was running the offense, essentially. Uh, He's gone. They're not going to be as ISO heavy. There will be more motion um, with Igor now, essentially, as the offensive coordinator. Yeah, Igor Kokoshkov, by the way, for those who who, uh, don't know that. Um, So I, I think Steve has been forced into a situation where he's going to have to grow as a coach because now he doesn't have, he has less runway. He has fewer excuses. He's been handed a good roster. I mean, he's had a good roster the whole time, Yeah, but I think this roster barring any major unforeseen injury is more complete than the roster. He was actually coaching, not the roster that was getting paid and you look <laughs> on basketball reference and it's there, but you don't see the brothers on the court. I'm saying the roster he's actually coaching. This is the most complete team that he's had. And he has no excuses not to have a deep run with. And, you know, I think honestly, some of the drama might be good for him because my biggest criticism of him would be that he just let KD and Kyrie do whatever they wanted on on offense with a a lack of structure and playing a ton of minutes during the regular season. I mean, they needed those guys, but still, or even during the playoffs, like, yes, it, it was amazing that Kevin Durant played 48 minutes but you know it, there's no reason you can't get him like three minutes of rest during the game right it, like those guys you know james harden on a bum hamstring playing 48 minutes like no that's not the best strategy he was just basically letting these guys determine their minutes and i think maybe the fact that doing that strategy still got him fired or, or got kd asking for him to be fired maybe now he'll be like hey all right i'm gonna do things my way then like you, th- you think there's not enough structure all right here's some structure like i'm gonna actually really try to impose a little bit more discipline uh and i think that could be good for this team i mean and not again not that he's gonna be like yelling and screaming you guys be like no kitty like we're just we're gonna play you 34 minutes a game you know like that that sort of thing uh and to try to as you mentioned they got kakashkov now to try to get a little more offensive structure maybe you can hold guys a little more accountable defensively i I think it'll be good for him because you think at this point he's like hey i i tried doing it your way and you wanted me fired i'm not going to go down this season 
without at least trying things my way. I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, listen, if <laughs> if he's telling Ben Simmons, I want you to work on your free throw. If he's telling him, I want you to put up. Now, he hasn't said this to us. I'm just saying, if he's saying, I want you to try more jumpers. I want you to work on your free throws. I want you to shore up these weaknesses in your game. Well, I mean, it's not like Ben Simmons can really think, oh, I'm not listening to this guy. I'm going to get him fired. Well, if KD couldn't get him fired, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who else is going to get him fired uh, other than himself, you know, with a poor performance. So, no, I I agree with you. There There is a chance for him to come out of this in a way more emboldened, right? There is an avenue for that. I asked Spo about that, and he wouldn't bite. He <laughs> <laughs> was too slick. He wouldn't answer the question. All right, let's uh, let's get to some predictions here. And they're oh. over under when I did it. <laughs> yes, I know this is uh, this <laughs> uh, and uh, I, dare I even take a look at, at what we did last year too? Because I th- I think we might we might have been off a little bit, but uh, I'm, I'm quite certain I was off. Uh, but but in any event. Uh, their over under, at least when I looked at it a couple weeks ago, was 49 and a half. I ended up going with the under because I just, more even based on health than drama, I, I felt mm-hmm. like there's just KD and Kyrie were probably not going to make it through enough of the season. I felt maybe similarly about Simmons as well. The early returns on that are pretty good. But then you got Seth and Joe Harris coming off the surgery, TJ Warren. I mean, if they could get the TJ Warren from two years ago, that would be amazing from the bubble. But, you know, I'm not, as you mentioned, not counting on that. So I think I'm going to go for 49 wins with these guys. I think their offense, when KD and Kyrie are there, is going to be amazing. Um, it's certainly in the regular season, they've got more shooting than they've had recently. Um, I do think they're going to miss Bruce Brown. So I'm even getting Simmons as well. Like they, there isn't a second guy I really trust defensively on this team, like regular season KD that's at age, you know, 34, 35, not really buying that uh, as much. Uh, Kyrie's, his effort will wax and wane. And then they're going to have at least, you know, uh, other non defenders out there with those guys as well. So I think they're going to be pretty bad in defense. I think it'll be bottom 10. Uh, but, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I mean, there's actually some pretty decent defensive sound. So, so you see it differently uh, for them defensively? Not glaringly differently. I'm probably, I mean, you've probably seen more of Royce than I have. I, you know, I, I probably would have been a little higher on Royce than you would have been. Not that I think he's a glove, but I think he's an improvement. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think I think of him as more as competent than than as like right. a well, plus they at were, this point. They were putting out some incompetent defenders. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's competency is an improvement over what we've been forced to watch. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And again, now Nick, I, I can't I can't count on Nick to play 30 minutes a game for 70 games because I've never seen him stay on the floor. I think yeah. if you tell me he's going to be healthy all year essentially healthy all year. I think there's a really good switchable defender. I'm less concerned about him being an above average defender than I am about him staying healthy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And he's another guy I probably should have included in that uh, health question mark analysis. And yeah, maybe in the buyout market or a trade, they can get someone else in the front court, get a Jeff Green type of guy or make a trade for someone like a Jay Crowder. They do have at least one first round pick uh, that they can move now. Uh, and they've got that Philly first in 2027. They could move as well. Um, 
So I'm, I'm, uh, maybe the, if it looks like this team is healthy and sane and that it like they could actually be one piece away, like I think they have enough ammo to at least get someone who can be a better version of what Markeith Morris is probably going to be early in the season, like a stretch ish five who, who can also hold up a little bit on the interior. But I think for this regular season, because of the injury issues and then the possibility of some kind of an implosion, although I'm, I don't fear that as much as I did maybe six weeks ago. 49 sure. wins is where I'm going to end up for, for these guys. I would have picked, I mean, as you know, I'm not I'm not really a gambling man, but no. I would have picked 50, Yeah, just a round number. And I, I think they're probably better suited to handle injuries than they were a year ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they're better suited to handle a, a one month absence of you know, Joe Harris or three week absence of Seth or, you know, a, the invariable two week absence of Kyrie or whatever, than they would have been a year ago. So I'm going with 50. I don't feel great about it, but uh, back to a corner, I would have said 50. Are there any teams, uh, last question here, is in these playoffs that you feel they match up especially well or poorly against? Well, I mean, I don't know anybody that matches up particularly well with Embiid. I, I just think, I just don't know that they have anybody. Yeah. that's. I mean, I, I'm i sure Ben would, you know, give it his shot, give it a little college try. Would he? Uh, <laughs> well fair enough <laughs> fair enough i mean we'll we'll see i actually have, have a bet with my my partner daniel larue about whether simmons will actually play in the first game in philly this year or not and like he's it's gonna have to get over that i mean lord give me that playoff series with everyone healthy i mean that would be I, here's amazing. my thing I, yeah those people and i've heard a number of people that talk about oh it would have been good for ben to have been playing in this game to quote get it over with anybody that says get it over with has never been to philly (laughs) right there's no getting over they will be booing him when he's 80 right they're never gonna stop not gonna stop they're not running out of booze in the city of philadelphia so you know he's just gonna have to deal with it. He's not moving past it. He's gonna have to deal with it. Yeah. He's gonna have to go and live with the fact that they're gonna boo, and that on occasion, a significant number of Philly fans will take the New Jersey Transit up and come up when they play in Brooklyn and still boo yeah. more there. It's just this is what it's gonna be. You know, he could be gone from the Nets years from now. He could be playing in Chicago, and they'll still be booing. You know. Yeah. Well, I I don't know that they match up well with Embiid. I don't think they have anybody that can really give a viable effort in slowing him. I mean, Dayron is a physical guy and is not afraid of any physical challenge, and he'll try. But I mean, Dayron might get six fouls in five minutes against him. Seems pretty um, likely. I, he he just doesn't have the experience. Embiid Embiid. I mean, that's what's so hard about him. He's so big and physical, but then he also has all the tricks when you try to get physical with him. Right. I think they match up better with Milwaukee than they did yeah. a year ago. I still think Milwaukee's better than Philly, but I think they have I think Ben improves their matchup with Milwaukee. Um Philly, I think, is the one that I'd say they haven't significantly improved their matchup against. Yeah. Well, I would say Philly has improved their matchup because I like I loved I thought the Nets without Simmons, I mean that game where they just killed uh, Harden and, and Embiid last year, I think it was March 10th, 
you know, yes. you could see that their matchup was pretty good. Now Philly though has added Tucker. They've added Mel. Like they, they actually have some they guys had a who good can offseason. Yeah, they did. They I did. think the, I think Philly had a good offseason. And you know what? All credit to Harden because I looked and I said, well, can they really get PJ? You know, I didn't know what kind of contract Harden was going to end up signing. I, I think they worked their offseason as well as could be expected and better than I thought they would. Yeah, and then Boston, I mean, I think they're in better position against Boston, but Boston, I mean, just the nature of their team, they match up pretty well, I think, against anybody. And I think they're in better shape against Miami, too. That would be another fascinating one. And Miami, I think the loss of Tucker, the Nets are maybe the matchup where they would be hurt the most by losing him because Tucker you know, does a decent job. If, they were, if both teams were healthy. I think the Nets match up better against Miami. Yeah. Again, if they're all if if they actually have their full rosters, I would think the Nets match up with Miami is pretty good. I, I'm not telling you that Miami won't grind out more wins over the course of the season because I I feel pretty confident in saying they probably will because it's what they do. Um, but I do think their matchup in a playoff series does favor the Nets. All right. Well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for making the time brian i really appreciate it uh, as always and where can we keep up with uh, your nets coverage this season well you can keep up with me uh at the new york post so you know just uh keep us afloat keep reading uh nypost.com and you can find me on twitter at at nypost underscore lewis l-e-w-i-s yeah you guys got some good coverage i like uh andrew marshan's stuff too Good, good oh, media stuff. Clicker, yeah, he's been doing this for years. He's very good. Yeah, uh, he, he made he was a, a I think he was a Yankees beat writer, and now he does sports media. That was a good good transition for him. That's that's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a baseball beat writer, yeah. and uh, now he covers the guys that cover baseball and breaks a fair amount of news on that too. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that, and uh, hopefully, I'll we'll, we can uh, catch up in person uh, if you're going to be out here in the Bay uh because it's been a, it's been a while for traveling for a lot of people so hopefully we can make that happen oh yeah um yeah i'll be out there i made the trip last year I'll, I'll make it this year i don't know when i don't know when we're in san fran but i wouldn't miss that for the world all right thanks again brian all right thanks ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the all-star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us all right it is now time to talk about a team with a lot of interesting young prospects uh, we're going to spend i would imagine a lot of time on those individual players and how they are evolving as this team moves into hopefully a new era in the next couple of years and we're going to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And joining us is the Oklahomans, Joe Masada. How are you doing, Joe? I'm, I'm doing well, Nate. I'm I'm happy and looking forward to doing this. Season's almost here. And uh, I know you're rolling through these preseason pods, so I'm ready to talk some Thunder hoops. Yeah, and obviously it's a massive disappointment that we're not really going to get a chance uh, to talk about Chet Holmgren. But uh, since uh, I have you here, and he's obviously a big part of their future, before we get into the team this year, just what? What has the mood been around Chet and his recovery and what this means for the Thunder long-term and his role within their plans? Yeah, I I think first and foremost, it's just a bummer for all involved, for the Thunder as a team from a front office standpoint, coaching standpoint, player standpoint, and then um, especially the fans here in Oklahoma City who have sort of been patiently waiting to uh, turn the page and get to the next chapter, and now they have to wait a year before they see Chet Holmgren play. But, um, you know, the the Thunder obviously keeps itself pretty composed organizationally, um, saying all the right things. Chet seems to be having a positive attitude as he um, goes into his rehab process. It's going to be lengthy, though. I mean, it it seems like he's going to be ready to play by the start of next season. I don't think that's guaranteed. Um, He has had the surgery to to replace a Liz Frank, not to replace, to repair a Liz Frank uh, torn ligament in his foot. So he's still on a scooter at this point. I actually saw him at practice the other day and he's got one leg propped up on a scooter um, and he's just, you know, getting some mid-range jumpers in and just like practicing the form for, for his upper body, basically, while his lower body is stationary and can't really do anything except wheel around. Yeah, I think actually this might have been before your time, but the first person I ever saw on one of those scooters was KD back in 2015 when he had the broken foot. He was kind of wheeling around the, the Thunder practice facility. Um, but I guess the... So, so that's concerning. I mean, they really, they feel like this could be, could even linger like Jonathan Isaac style in the next year, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think they feel confident that he is going to be ready by the start of next season, but I think it would be, it's premature, premature to say that that's guaranteed just because, um, you know, who, who knows exactly what his specific injury looks like. Um, but talking to, I just did a story talking to several orthopedic surgeons, not about Chet's case specifically because they haven't seen his metal yeah. medical reports they didn't perform the surgery um so a major caveat there but you know they said recovery can can last up to 12 months um for a lot of the time you're you're not able to really do anything physically you're, you're just sort of 
um, cooped up or on one of those scooters. So he's, it's going to take a while for his conditioning to come back, um, just his comfort and confidence to, to play on that foot. Um, and it doesn't seem like anything that's, that's going to hamper him once he gets back. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, they're not going to make any promises of when exactly he's going to return. Yeah. No, and that, that's very kind of OKC style too, to, to do that. You wouldn't yes. expect anything different. Uh, so what do they see him as for this team? Like, is he a power four? Is he a center? Is he a guy who they expect to initiate offense? Is he kind of just the, your three and D power forward center? Do they see him playing next to another big? What is kind of the understanding of what he might be in the long-term vision of this team? Yeah, I think first and foremost, they see him as a defensive anchor that they've really lacked. I mean, they've been collecting a lot of intriguing uh, perimeter prospects, but they haven't had um, that eraser at the rim. Their rim defense has been you know, better than you would think without having one of those guys, but they've just circled or cycled through these centers like Isaiah Roby, uh, Derek Favors, uh, Mike Mascala, but like not, not that defensive center you would think. So I think he's going to help them a ton on that end of the floor and offensively just, you know, being, uh, you know, spacing the floor for Josh Giddy and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Shea drives the ball more than any player in the NBA. Josh Giddy is is sort of on his heels. Um, so there's a ton of drive and kick opportunities for him to be spaced out in the corner, um, catch and shoot threes, but he can also create some offensively. And that's kind of how the Thunder wants to play. It's this sort of egalitarian offensive system where everyone can handle it. Everyone can put it on the floor, create for others, create for themselves. Um, and be comfortable making quick decisions. So we got a very, very brief glimpse of that at Summer League, but um, the development of how those pieces fit together is obviously going to be delayed a season. So one thing that I like to look at as we change gears towards this season is what happened in the previous year. And this will be a a different cast of characters. Obviously, at the end of some of these seasons, they've had some rotating casts of characters who may not be prominently involved, at, at least early on here. But the biggest thing that stuck out to me from last season was through February 8th, the trade deadline. And that's kind of when things changed a, a little bit, I think in terms of their approach 13th in the NBA in defense. And you mentioned the rim protection being better than would have been expected. I mean, just on paper, this has been one of the weakest defensive front courts in the NBA, particularly last year. And they didn't have Al Horford for half a season, 13th on defense with this group. How the hell did they do that? Yeah, it's it's something that over the course of the season, uh, I was talking to other people who follow the Thunder and we were asking each other that same question. It's like we watch them every night and then you see the numbers and it's like, how have they been able to do this? Um, I, I think th- this is sort of a simple answer, but for a group of young guys who are still trying to sort of make their name in the NBA, they did play exceptionally hard and that gets you to a certain point defensively. Um, and, and that certainly matters. Um, they understand the scheme. I think they like playing for Mark Dagnall, but without having that, you know, typical, you know, rim protector, it is, uh, I think luck played some, of, some bit of factor, but, but still, I mean, they held up, uh, even when you take that out and, you know, it's, it's a good question as to explaining exactly how Lou Dort's a premier perimeter defender. That certainly helps. Um, but that only explains so much. I don't, I wouldn't expect them to 
to reach those levels again. But that's what was so exciting about Chet because they were an average to even above average defensive team at the all-star break when they were playing all of their guys. And now you say, okay, we're going to take that defense and add Chet Holmgren to it. Um, And, you know, there's thought that this could be a top 10 defense pretty soon. Um, I I don't think they're going to be this year. That would be a big shock, but the defense has really um, kept them somewhat afloat when they have been competitive with their guys out there. It's just the offense is the worst in the NBA back-to-back years and uh, the the defense can only do so much. Yeah. And and even during the period when, Shea was playing before the all-star break they were 30th with a bullet in the nba and but a couple of numbers that stick out during that pre-all-star break period for me uh, on cleaning the glass sixth in location e field goal percentage so just based on where they are giving up shots uh, very solid uh and then they're actually eighth in opponent shooting at the rim 60 3.8% given up there. Now they gave up a lot better shooting on floaters. Uh, They gave up very good shooting on mid-rangers as well. You could say maybe even they're a little bit unlucky there. You could also say, well, they're really selling out to protect the rim and they're just giving up very easy mid-rangers. And then three-point percentage, opponent three-point percentage was about average. So, you know, I mean, there wasn't anything that I thought was that fluky in those numbers a a year ago, just from a purely statistical standpoint, if maybe from a talent standpoint. Uh, The... So uh, how much credit should we give Mark Dignall for that performance? I think quite a bit. Um, I've been really impressed with Mark just covering him as uh, he's now entering his third season. uh, Young NBA head coach. He's 37. He's got a G League background. I mean, his his story is pretty fascinating. Uh, Don't want to bore your listeners, but just a a quick recap, because no one knows who Mark Dignall is. No, exactly. I had never heard of him. I had never (laughs) heard of him when they hired him. So I I actually would would be, I think people would be interested to hear this. That was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you to learn more about him. Yeah. So I would say from people I talked to, he was a middling high school basketball player, uh, grew up in Leminster, Massachusetts, went to UConn and uh, not to play basketball. He, he did not play college basketball, but he latched on as a manager uh, for Jim Calhoun's UConn teams, were, were, was there for some really good teams, um, eventually got a job at Holy Cross um, on their bench. And then, you know, he was deciding what he was going to do next uh, in his life, like whether he's going to go to grad school or try to keep coaching. And he basically said, I'm going to do both of those things. And he went to Florida uh, as a grad assistant. And that's when he was, you know, he was like, it's not fair to say he was uh, an assistant coach on Billy Donovan's staff. He was more so an assistant of Billy Donovan's, uh, like almost like a personal assistant. But um, obviously that's when the relationship with him started. And the the crazy thing a lot of people don't realize is Mark Dagnalt beat Billy Donovan to Oklahoma City. Mark Dagnalt was first hired to coach the Oklahoma City Blue. Um, Then Billy Donovan gets the Thunder job. And after a couple of years, Billy brings Mark uh, onto his staff. And Mark Dagnalt was only an NBA assistant for one year before Billy Donovan left for the Bulls job and, and Mark Dagnalt was elevated. So all, all of that to say, he they really like his experience as a developmental coach, like a guy who got the most out of G League players and had them playing within a system and competing hard. And the Thunder is like a glorified developmental team these last couple of years, trying to, um, the front office is trying to identify talent, draft talent, 
bring in young guys, give them a shot. And then it's Mark Dagnall and his staff's job to sort of develop these guys and get them to play hard. And that goes back to what we were talking about on the defensive end to get a young team like this to sort of buy in on that end of the floor. And, you know, even I, I know their record was was really bad. That that had a lot to do with just, you know, going all in on the tank toward the end of last season. Um, but they sort of outperformed uh, even what their record has, has been. You would think that they'd be an even worse team given their dearth of talent, but uh, they play really hard under him and they, they seem to really like him personally and uh, he connects with them. So it seems to be a good match in Oklahoma City. What are some of the tenets that he believes in from kind of a coaching philosophy standpoint? Yeah, I think going back to really on the on the offensive side of the ball, th- this isn't I wouldn't describe it as just a tenant of Mark Degnault's system, but really the system Sam Presti in that front office, like how they're drafting, they they want every player on the floor to have to to be able to make quick decisions and know what to do with the ball. So I, I know that sounds simple, but like it's, it's going all in on the, you know, positionalist brand of basketball, whoever grabs the defensive rebound can uh, take the ball up the floor and then and, and initiate the offense. Um, Watch the preseason game last night. Usman Jang was doing that. Chet Holmgren is going to be doing that. Last season, Isaiah Roby was doing that. Um, so it's just having five creators, five ball handlers, and really prioritizing passing vision um, and quick decision-making. Like you can't hold on to the basketball. You've got to keep it moving. Um, and really it, it goes down to their two most ball dominant guys, Josh Giddy and Shea Gilders Alexander. Um, Shea for the last two seasons has led the NBA in drives per game. He averaged, I think, 24 drives per game last year, which was ahead of Luca. Luca's finished second to Shea in, in both of those seasons. And Shea just puts so much pressure on the rim. He's so slippery and he's a good finisher at the rim, but he can also um, pass out to guys on the perimeters on the perimeter and find them. The only problem is the Thunder is a terrible <laughs> three-point shooting team, so it doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't make their offense look efficient. So at times the offense looks prettier than the stats would suggest just because they haven't been able to shoot the ball well. But um, I would say that's how they w- they want to play, um, especially offensively. Yeah, and for Jay, I can't remember where I saw this stat, but basically he had kind of the lowest value added on his passes in the NBA, basically <laughs> yeah. like, based on where the shot location was that he was setting up a teammate shot uh, the worst that, that they have and he's obviously going to be doing a lot of kicking out they haven't had like a great like alley-oop role man for him to be finding on some of these drives either um quickly what about defensively from a schematic standpoint is there anything you can point to uh, that uh, kind of dovetails with how successful they've been when they've been trying the last couple of years yeah i think they're still it's really clear what their offensive identity is at this point um without chet i think it's still going to be tbd on what that defensive identity is going to look like because he's going to change so much of the way they play defensively um if he's the rim protector that that a lot of people think he can be um but they've got a lot of guys who 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 can switch um they're they're gonna play a smaller lineup like you look at this year you know Alexi Pokashevsky, who I think we're going to get to, he's got a chance to start at the four. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is probably going to be their starting center. He's a guy who's more than comfortable.
comfortable guarding out on the perimeter a little bit and switching onto guards. He did that at Villanova. So he's pretty versatile. Um, Josh Giddy has been a defensive liability on the perimeter. He's still young, but you know, he doesn't have great athleticism, six, seven, but they can sort of hide him um, on opposing four. So he'll guard a lot of power forwards. Um, and then Lou Dort just cleans up a lot of things on the perimeter. I think Shea, uh, I actually covered him in college at Kentucky. Mm. And he was known as this, like, you know, obviously super long wingspan. He's got length. He can yeah. really move his That's, feet. Um, when I saw him at the Hoop Summit, that was kind of what he was known as, as a prospect, was more of a defender with kind of suspect offense, suspect shooting. Yeah. And it's completely flipped, right? Like, I mean, maybe the shooting is still suspect, but he's an offense first guard. Um, but like the defensive tools are still there. We just haven't really seen them. And part of me thinks that one, his offensive burden has just been so heavy that I kind of give him a pass for not going all in on the defensive end. And two, the Thunder hasn't had much to play for the last two seasons. So kind of what's the, you you would really have to get yourself motivated. So um, I, I think there's another level once they become competitive that, that Shea can, uh, you know, really take a step up defensively. And they're going to need him to be as like the leader of this team to buy in on that end of the floor. So the other thing that stood out to me from last season as it relates to projecting this year was, I believe, I can't remember when this was, it might have been right towards the end of the season, it might have been Sam Presti's end of season presser but he basically and i'm paraphrasing here you'll probably have this more serious in your memory than i do so feel free to clarify any of this but my recollection was he essentially was like hey if we're in the same position next year as far as not being competitive we're going to do the same thing down the end of the season am i remembering that correctly yeah you are correct he, he referred to them as as games of consequence basically once you're out of the, the playoff or play in hunt um a flip switches and and they're going to play i mean they're going to play younger guys anyway just because their whole roster right. is young pretty much but once once they're no longer competing for something substantive um i think you're going to see them you know flip that switch again this season like unless they take a massive step forward that few projects um i i think they're going to be in a similar boat especially with uh how the 2023 draft is looking at this point and the chance to add another high lottery pick um, and, you know, to Sam's credit, by the way, that presser you mentioned was, I think, two hours and, and 13 minutes. So it was a it was a marathon. He answered every yeah, question yeah. we had. Op but Opening statement for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, they've been pretty transparent in their rebuild and how they plan to go about it and, and what their focus is. So um, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I, I have a hard time believing that, you know, they're going to be Shea has dealt with some late season injuries, but if he's healthy, I, I just think he's going to want to play as he sort of like takes another step into what I think will be uh, stardom. I think he has a chance to be an all-star this season. He's competitive. He's probably not going to want to sit out, but with the way the West is looking this year, um, and how young this Thunder team is, I don't even know if they're going to have to go to drastic measures to really tank at the end of the season. I, I think they're, you know, pretty safely going to be, you know, a bottom three team in the West and and be in contention for a high lottery pick. Yeah, and you probably remember this, although you'd like to eternal sunshine this from your mind, I would assume. Just to, you mentioned flipping the switch. The Thunder's three leaders in minutes per game. This is minutes per game on basketball reference. Xavier Simpson. Four games averaged 43.5 minutes per game. A guard with a hook shot. Yeah, actually, it was, I saw him at Summer League and somebody in the stands was like, <laughs> hey, like, uh, they asked like, oh, who's your favorite player? And he, I think he was playing for the match. He's like, hook shot guy. Love hook shot guy. <laughs> uh, Giorgio's. 
Kalate Zakas, who I think was uh, came to fame as a number 60 overall pick of the Milwaukee Bucks. That's correct. Melvin Frazier, a second round pick out of Tulane, my alma mater, uh, played for, for the Magic. Those guys all average more than 40 minutes a game in the last like week or so of the season. Jalen Horde uh, made his triumphant return mm-hmm. as well. So there's uh, a bunch of Olivier Saar minutes. And, yeah, well, didn't they're... they actually cut Saar at the end of the year because <laughs> he was too good? I think yeah, I remember Sarla, that happening. They, they they were just cycling through pretty much everyone they had uh, with the <laughs> blue, and you know it was it was pretty blatant what they were doing. Um, they would tell you that it was pretty blatant what Portland was doing and what some of the other teams were doing at the oh, end yeah? of the year as well. Like I covered a a late game Trailblazers. Oh, uh, th- oh Thunder game. That and, game was a fucking yeah. classic. The uh, <laughs> yeah. the Isaiah Roby three. Like they're down six with like 40 seconds left in Portland. Portland, you know, would finish the season like one in 25. And somehow they hit two threes right at the end. And then they won it in overtime. That was an all time tank classic. Although still the, uh, the Daniel Latoro game will never be topped. I don't think. (laughs) But yeah, yeah that, that was, was the last uh, game of the season two years ago. But yeah, the the Roby game, winning it, and it's it's just this like such a contrast of like what's going on because you look at the players on the floor, and I have to remind people all the time who like you know flippantly say this team's trying to lose. It's like the organization, the front office is trying to lose. The guys on the floor, I say Roby. I mean, he he got picked up by the Spurs off waivers. He's trying to make an NBA roster. Yorgos Kalizakis is trying to play. So the actual guys on the floor are trying to play. Um, and they're going crazy when they win that game. And then you look on Twitter and it looks like the Thunder just lost game seven of the NBA finals. Just like, <laughs> oh my God, like how could he how could he make that shot and everything like that? And it's like Isaiah Roby doesn't have to be invested in, you know, what the Thunder's draft positioning is. So um it was it was crazy at the end of last year. No, it, definitely, and and you know we might end up there again. Although they have kind of some younger guys now that mm-hmm. maybe the, they'll still be playing. Uh, I mean, did, didn't they even like shut down Poku by the end Poku, of the year? Poku was shut down. Uh, Lindy Waters the third, who's on a two way contract, he was shut down. So, um, you know, all kinds of roster maneuvers. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more now. I was glad to get that background, but uh, what are some of the big themes that uh, emerged out of camp this year, big things that you're going to be tracking this season for this Thunder team? Well, you mentioned Poku, and that's everyone in, you know, everyone's favorite hypothetical NBA player, especially here in Oklahoma City. He's he, He's been awesome in the preseason, and I have to sort of like catch myself when I say that because he has been such a bad NBA player um, through his first two NBA seasons but he looks extremely comfortable this preseason. He's shot the ball well. I'm not going to put too much stock into that because, you know, it's just preseason, but the shot looks better. He looks stronger. Um, But the most important thing, he looks like he belongs out there and he looks like he knows he belongs. I mean, you don't see the passes to the 18th row anymore. You don't see um, kind of the mental mistakes that he was making. So, you know, Poku is in kind of a good spot because it's like people can now talk about Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams from Santa Clara and Usman Jang and Trey Mann and all of these other exciting young prospects that the the weight of the world is not on Poku's skinny shoulders anymore to sort of carry the thunder back. But um, he is a storyline I'm definitely going to be watching to, to just see how he plays now in year three. And you got to remember that he is still 20 years old. Um, a more uh, how, quick, quickly, how, how yeah, has he 
being used like what position are they playing him at because uh, i mean some of these numbers are really really interesting seven assists uh, per 36 minutes uh, in the preseason still turning over a little bit but uh 1.9 blocks per 36 yeah. minutes actually shooting reasonably from three again you know not a not a crazy volume you can't reach that in the preseason but so like what position is he playing at how do you see him being used for this team he's basically a point forward offensively i mean if he he's another one of those guys if he gets the defensive board he's bringing the ball up the floor and getting things going offensively um you know i i do think he's improving as a three-point shooter but he's primarily playing the four and the five uh in, in this past preseason game um he was primarily playing the five and Mark Dagnall said after the game that they wanted to get more of a look at him at center. And I think they can go to that in certain matchups. He's actually one of their best rim protectors, which, you know, he, sh- he should be as a seven footer, but he's so skinny, obviously, but I think he can hang in certain matchups um, and play that position. I mean, things are trending toward him being the starting four at the beginning of the year, uh, mm. which, you know, if Chet Holmgren was, was playing, I think Chet would start at the five and I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl would start at four. But at this point, I expect Robinson Earl to start at center and, and Poku to be um, that starting power forward. I mean, Jalen Williams could also slide in there as well. Uh, Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, because there's two of them on the Thunder's roster. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if you, you've heard me. I... <laughs> I refuse to do the whole like J Dub J Will thing. Like there's there's a good Jalen Williams, and then there's the one who's gonna need to kind of prove it to me. Yeah. That's gonna make to make me call the good Jalen Williams something else other than Jalen Williams. That's that's my approach uh, so far. I know you yeah. you cover the team, so you're you're gonna call them what they want to be called. But for for my purposes, yeah. I because uh, and also I think like that Jalen Williams, the San Clara Jalen Williams. I think he's going to be pretty good. Like I've been very impressed by him in summer league and this preseason. Yeah. He's been super impressive. Um, Just to roll through a couple more themes. um, I wrote down, I think the pairing of Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy is going to be really important and and probably the most important thing that I'll be looking for this season, because it was kind of a clunky fit as they were working through things a year ago. Um, And then Shea Shea was dealing with an injury before the all-star break. They come back and after the, break Josh Giddy only plays in one game and then he's shut down with a hip injury um Shea keeps playing and and is looking great and then he's shut down so we only got about a 50 game sample or I think even less than that or around 40 games of them playing together and they're both guys who are natural point guards and both want the ball in their hands and um you know Shea was was that guy who initiated most of the offense early last season um but then right around the all-star break Mark Dagnall said we want to put Josh on the ball a little bit more and I think from those of us watching from the outside in that's the move that makes the most sense you would rather have you know Josh Giddy creating for a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander rather than Shea creating like you're really devaluing what Josh Giddy does if you take him off the ball um he's just not a, a good enough shooter at this point um to to play off the ball like that so you know both of them it's going to be kind of a push and pull is is for you know who is that you know main point guard i I don't think they're going to label either one uh, that that primary ball handler but just those two guys I mean, that's the future backcourt. And I think it's an exciting one being 6'6 and 6'7 and um, the passing creativity and really genius of Josh Giddy, and then uh, just Shea's feel for the game and and how he attacks the bucket. Um, Both have major shooting question marks. So I think uh, Shea's 
shooting last season was, was more of a blip. I think he was taking some really hard attempts earlier in the year and that really crashed his percentages. Um, but yeah, those those two guys fitting together is, is going to be major for them moving forward. Yeah, Shay, I mean, he has over 40%, but is in only a thousand minutes or so two years ago got the max contract extension based on that season and you know as you mentioned he still is very effective as a driver but i think was 32 percent from three last year i mean he's he loves that step back to his right and just chucks up this moon ball which looks great when it goes in but man that is a a tough shot so that's a big theme for me too is just as we he's been so we haven't seen him in a really competitive situation but i i want to see is he at the a guy we should be talking about as one of the best young guard prospects in the league a, a guy who's going to be in that all nba conversation every year when these guys are decent or is he kind of more of a you know going to settle in at kind of that deer and fox level um or and you know fox could could improve as well but uh, let's talk more about giddy though i think he i don't even want to say he's polarizing because i think most people are very high on him i am less so uh due to some of the fit issues that you talked about as a shooter and you know, particularly as a defender at that size like i just don't think he has a position i thought his summer league was atrocious defensively i mean he's an unbelievable passer he's a top 10 passer in the nba i mean someone he's putting up 10 assist games in summer league in like less than 25 minutes yeah. um so it, he's really good there like i i love him as a transition downhill scorer as well pushing the ball but i i wonder if he can't be a premium option as a scorer then how much can you give him the ball and then he'll set guys up but then he's got to get off the ball and, and he's not going to get guarded possibly so i that's kind of my thought on him i'm obviously if he fixes those shooting questions those defensive questions then he's a, a really great prospect but what's your feeling on him do you do you see him as like future all-star good player man i think he's gonna be a good player obviously but uh, what's your feeling having watched him uh, every game that he's played so far this uh in his career yeah it's tough to I, I don't know if I would go all-star at, at this point, but uh, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out just because uh, he turned 22 days ago. Um, and he, he just really impressed me um, last season and, and what he did as a rookie. I mean, there were there were some nights where, you know, it's it's not always uh, going to cover a Thunder game and it's like, okay, you know, wh- what's going to happen tonight? And then Josh Giddey sort of like wakes you up with his, you know, cross-court slingshot passes behind the back and uh, just his flick passes. Like he's so fun. Um, just the genius that he has a, as a passer is really fun. The shooting is a huge question mark. And I'm not saying this guy will fix the jump shot, but Chip England was the Thunder's best offseason addition um, th- this season. They bring him in as a shooting coach, was in San Antonio for forever. He's actually with the team part-time, so um, he's going to travel to some games, won't be at others, won't be at every practice, but he's working a lot with Josh Giddy. and Josh has raved about what he's done for him already, and um, tiny sample size, but uh, Josh has shot it okay in, in the preseason, and I think the thing that, you know, I guess should ease some of the concerns about, I'm not ever going to say he's even going to turn into an average three point shooter. Um, But I think he has a chance because he's not afraid to take those shots. Like he, he took about four threes per game last year. Um, He's comfortable getting to the mid range. Um, He's got a floater that's really good. So he can, he's not afraid to, to shoot from all three levels. Um, And especially like he's going to have to keep shooting threes or else defenses are are just going to collapse and not respect him at all. And that's just going to junk a ton of stuff 
tough spot, but um, his willingness to at least take those shots, I, I think is encouraging. Um, his ceiling as an NBA player, whether we're talking all-star or not, I, I really think it simply hinges on the jump shot and what that turns into. Yeah. And I think the defense too, where I'm less optimistic right. about his ability to improve there just as he's actually pretty good in a straight line movement wise, but really like getting into a stance moving laterally looks like it's really difficult for him. Um, just yeah. A, and a they few, try, yeah, they, ahead, sorry. They, they try to hide him defensively. Like they'll, they'll put him on uh, a guy who's, you know, standing in the corner. They'll put him on a lot of power forwards. And I think, um, I don't know what it will be, but they're, they're going to certainly be devising a scheme once they're competitive to sort of um, put him in advantageous positions because he's not a guy that can um, hang consistently on the perimeter with like shifty guards. He's just not uh, built to do that. So a few of the numbers from last year, that just to put this into context 4.5 three-point times per 36 minutes again not too terrible but shot 26 percent on those you know he did have that four for eight game against uh what was that against the pistons last night i think um mm-hmm. you know 49 percent from two so it takes a lot of floaters which i think is actually an okay shot for him uh but then only 1.7 free throw attempts for 36 minutes and then turned it over on almost 20 percent of the possessions that he used last year and it was and it wasn't like he had a like he's one of these guys where like he has really low usage as a scorer so Mm -hmm. you know like Draymond Green style so his turnovers stand out like he actually had over a 20 percent usage so I mean you know he's a rookie point guard uh, uh, making the jump to the NBA I'm not saying those numbers can't improve but yeah I mean he's just got to get to a really really high level with the ball uh, with some of these other limitations and hey you know we've seen guys who are worse shooters than him figure it out as well ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one that's the sound of all the sports you love all at once starting at 40 dollars a month experience it all live with sling sling at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So there's so many guys to talk about on this team. So let's, let's just play a little game here. Why don't we, let's go in order of let's say who we think or i guess you thinks is most important to the thunders long-term future and we'll just spend you know like 90 seconds uh, talking about each of them who would be next on that list after shay and giddy who i would assume are, are the top two in your mind um yeah I, I mean i would i would actually put chet ahead of giddy okay sure um, sure yeah yeah I would j- just because the the investment obviously that that they made in him but those three guys that's the clear you know top three i mean shay is their their best player has a chance to be a perennial all-star and then chad obviously picked second and josh giddy picked six so after that i would say just because they signed him to a five-year deal worth almost 90 million dollars like lou dort is going to be one of those guys who um his development is going to be important for the long-term um progress of this team he's he's another guy where it all comes down to the jump shot and you know he's tweaked it it's gotten better it it's uh it's very 
high and arcing and drops it in from the rafters. Um, but he's not afraid to to take it. Just look at his amount of three point attempts last last season. Um, but you know, they they really like him from an attitude and personality standpoint and just what he brings them on the defensive end. Um, probably not a guy that's gonna shift the Thunder ceiling all that much, but just a guy who I think is gonna be part of the team's long term identity. Yeah, and they need someone obviously in that role if you're gonna play Giddy and Shea together, uh, given their defensive limitations to yeah. this point in, in their career. So he clearly has to be part of this. And yeah, I mean he's another guy, eight point five three point attempts for thirty six minutes. I mean, that is a big number for a three, but, and he's had some big scoring games in his career. Ultimately, I think you'll want him throttling that back. Uh, to probably below a 20% usage like he's below 50% from two I think that that player type probably needs to be more efficient on two pointers and you know he's another guy who will drive but maybe due to the lack of spacing he hasn't been able to finish as well you know not a great passer kind of puts his head down a little bit but um yeah a lot of of straight line drives and um you know he was their second leading scorer last year he's not going to be the second leading scorer on a good team so I think narrowing his role offensively is going to be key for him uh, whether he wants to do that or not. I would actually put Jalen Williams ahead of, of Dort just because of, of what I've seen from him so far. And I just really liked the way he's been able to drive the ball. Hasn't shot it that well, but he did shoot it pretty well in college. So I think that's going to come around. He really seems like he's a little older than some of the guys they've been drafting, mm-hmm. but I, I think he's just a very complete offensive prospect. The big knock in him was his defense. I, I thought at least in summer league, uh, you know, I've been more been watching like offensive film in preseason, but it, I thought his defense looked by as pretty good tools uh there as well like i i just really like that guy I actually if you put a gun to my head i would i think i like him better as a prospect than giddy personally so mm-hmm. i i'm really high that's on him. i guess we'll, we'll see you know uh yeah it, w- without having the, uh, a list written down in front of me i request permission to change my answers because i also would go with Jalen williams ahead of dort um, okay. at that point for all the reasons you said i mean i think yeah. he has he's going to have a greater impact on the thunder's future just like he, he could be a real ceiling raiser for this team in the way that Dort projects more as like that defensive stopper, more of a role player where Jalen Williams could, could really have um, a lot of different impacts. So um, ne- next I'll go just with the guy that was drafted right next to Jalen Williams, Usman Jang, um, who was picked one pick ahead of Jalen Williams. This is a guy that I, I am far from a draft expert or, or anything like that, but just watching stuff and, and reading stuff before the draft, not someone I was super high on. Um, he's incredibly young, 19 years old, played for the New, New Zealand Breakers in the NBL, is from France. He's listed at 6'10". He already looks like a seven-footer. But what has blown me away this preseason is just his fluidity um, and his movements with the ball. He, he seems to be so comfortable out there. Um, and he plays like a guard pretty much. And I don't know what his position ends up being, but he's another one of these guys like a Josh Giddy, like a Chet Holmgren, like a Poku, who, you know, has a ton of skill for their size. Um, and there are shooting question marks. Um, he shot the ball well from three last night in a preseason game. Um, and I don't know what ultimately he becomes offensively, but defensively using his length, he's already, um, you know, showing some promise there. So I'm, I'm not ready to buy in completely off just the preseason, but 
Usman Jang is a guy I thought would play for the G League Blue a ton, um, but now he's a guy I think is is pretty much primarily going to be up with the big league club and playing with the Thunder. Yeah, uh, that's and they certainly gave up plenty to get him. They really prioritized him and uh, getting a, he and Jalen Williams back to back will be interesting. Yeah, I think it, to me a lot of people were kind of a little down on that pick it seemed like he was a riser and they were i think they were competing with cleveland to get him yep. it was that's uh, right the reporting yeah okay so good to confirm that so uh yeah i mean if you got that kind of size and like any kind of pulse offensively like that's that's the right place to pick you like that position is just too valuable like you got to take swings there even though that obviously is a a a potentially a a high risk high reward pick and then i mean that's that kind of seems like it i I mean is there there anyone else that you really feel like this guy is for sure going to be part of their future i don't think there's anyone else that sticks out to me but maybe you feel differently i i would say that's that's the main group the one guy though i would want to mention uh an honorable mention is Trey Mann, uh, just because he brings something that this team sorely lacks, and that's just like a absolute punch offensively. And he just like is, you know, w- what he can create offensively with his step back, with his crossover. He's just like that instant score that they sort of lack. Like Shea is this, you know, smooth operating guard who kind of weaves his way down the lane. Giddy is a pass first player. Dort's primarily a catch and shooter, straight line drive player. And man has, you know, he's just got a, a lot in his bag and, and can get to any spot on the floor and is, you know, I think it's going to be a really good three-point shooter. Now they have to get him to play defense. And that's been the one thing Mark Dignall has stressed over and over is just him competing on, on that end. Um, he came in last year and, you know, just didn't look physically ready uh, to compete, especially defensively. He put on some weight this offseason, looks a little stronger. So Trey Mann is the guy. He's one of the most fun guys to watch on this team. And I'm looking forward to see what, seeing what he does this year. Yeah, they don't really have that guy who can kind of just get you a bucket, get, get into the mid-range and score. Che is probably their only guy you're looking at who can isolate against a switching defense. So, yeah, I could see that. He's, I just... In terms of ceiling, if you're that size and you're not a point guard, you're it's just tough to be a starter. You, you know, I mean, unless you're a Colin Sexton, Jordan Poole level of score, Anthony Simons, like, and I don't quite see that level. But we've seen guys like that develop in ways that are that are unexpected, and perhaps that'll be the case for him as yeah. well. So I, I think he know. does project as that like classic six man, you know, just yeah. coming off the bench and and carrying that second unit um as far as you know someone's got to get buckets and and he's going to be that guy i think yeah and i think as we talk about the big themes here it seems like particularly with this draft they've got a lot of cap space they have all these other teams picks as well going forward this does seem like kind of the last year of the fuck around and find out oklahoma city thunder where it just hey let's see who's good who's going to be part of our group going forward they have a lot of guys who can kind of sink or swim this year and some guys even like you know Darius Baisley who's going into his fourth year and I think that the herd will start to be culled a little bit now after this season and you know there's I think there's a little bit of I don't think record wise there's pressure but I think there is pressure on some of these players to produce because hey I got news for you there's going to be more draft picks coming in every year pressing you for playing time and so you got to kind of earn like the right to be gifted playing time to be part of what they're doing going forward I think that's a big theme for me this year with these guys yeah I'm, I'm getting really into the weeds here and uh th- these aren't big names but 
they've already had to do that a little bit. Like yeah. some young players that they've had to move on from, Teo Malado and Ty Jerome, Vit Krejci. Like these are guys who um, some of them aren't even going to be NBA players. I, I, I thought like, he, even Roby was like, you know, he's, yeah. he's going to play for San Antonio this year. Like I, I, I personally, I think he's better than some of the guys they still have. But but nonetheless, like he was getting sort kind of towards the end of that contract. He was he did some okay things. Like on most teams, he would still be they would have held on to him. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, so th- they're going to be shuffling the back end of that ro- the roster. Ultimately, it's all about the guys you have at the top of the roster. And as far as pressure, like I still think it's extremely low this year. Even you know, I don't think their record changes all that much, if any, with with Chet out. Um, but him him not being there, and uh, I think that buys them even more time. As far as like fans here who are tired of the rebuild, understand that Chet Holmgren's out. He was just drafted. Uh, with the number two pick. So it's going to take another year. I think the pressure really starts to ramp up um, next season. Um, you know, the, this figures to be the last time they're going to have a high lottery pick. Um, I think, you know, the pandemic has certainly warped our sense of time, but this is a team that um, was playing in the playoffs as, as yeah. recently as the bubble, um, you know, taking the Rockets to, to seven games and they're only two drafts into the rebuild getting giddy, which was a disappointment from a lottery standpoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there was a 75% chance that they were going to get one top five pick in that draft. Uh, and there was a 25% chance they were going to get two top five picks. It, no, if, I think, it, Houston, I think it was more than that. I think it was like the Rockets being in the top four. Oh, you, well, yeah, I guess you're saying that both yeah, the, their pick and they, the Rockets would be top five. Yeah. I mean, they had yeah, a 50% were, they, chance of getting like two top six picks or something like that though. Um, yeah. And then they, then they get the, then they fall to number six. And, you know, I think Josh Giddy is a pretty good, uh, you know, scenario for them to get. But then you look at some of the guys ahead of them in that draft, obviously they love Devin Mobley and, um, you know, Kid Cunningham, everyone else, but, um, now they're two drafts into the rebuild and they came away from this fast one with three lottery picks and Chet Holmgren, Usman Jang, um, and Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. So they are, this will be their third draft, presumably in the lottery. And, um, and I think they sort of know that. And, um, I, I think that, you know, it's just, they've been so bad at the end of the last two seasons. It seems like they've been doing this longer than they have. No, that's true. And even they started doing these moves before the Chris Paul season and it just but people forget they actually were good <laughs> during that season that was such a crazy well. year it's like Chris sure. Paul came into Oklahoma City totally turned around his career um it, it's just I mean wild to to look back and see which team had to give the picks up in, the, in that swap of Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul so yeah. uh the Thunder got CP and all those picks and yeah that team overachieved uh Shea Gilgis Alexander Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul it's like the three-headed backcourt monster had a crazy uh positive net rating so uh yeah that was that was kind of a fun year but the so that that sort of delayed the rebuild in a way because they i think they thought they were going to rebuild that year um and now they're just two years into it but um i'm with you i mean the the pressure is certainly going to build up uh entering next season a couple of things on that i think number one and i heard this out of philly Derek Bodner and Rich Hoffman, I, I love their podcast, Sixers Beat, and they were like, well, hey, you know what? Why is Sam Presti not going to start coming under some of the same fire that Sam Hinkie did? And I think the big difference would be, and part of this wasn't Hinkie's fault, Joel Embiid just got hurt again, but uh, at least the guys that they are drafting are on the floor. At least there is something to watch. There are guys here that you think will be part of this group going forward, at least until they shut it down the last 20 games of the season, but I think people just don't really care <laughs> 
at that point anyway. Like it's not, there isn't the level of just, oh my God, we have absolutely nothing to watch at the start of the year and we know it. Uh, that's where I think that the difference is. But, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about quickly before we kind of get into predictions here is, do you think there's anything to the line of thinking, which I've heard bandied about that Shea's just going to get pissed off about all this losing and one out? Yeah, that's, that's a constant storyline around here. And, um, we've, we've asked him about that. We've asked Sam about that. And, you know, the, the thunder certainly has a reputation of keeping things, uh, close to the chest, pretty tight knit. Um, if there's any sort of drama or anything to that, uh, I do not know about it because Shay has said all the right things publicly. Um, Sam has said all the right things publicly. Shay's talked about, um, the front office keeping him in the loop of what the plan is, what the rebuild is going to look like. Um, I think Shay was a big fan of Chet's and, and was happy that they were able to draft him. Um, now this can all turn on a dime. Like, you know, Shay could get fed up at any point and um, ask out. And then it creates a really uncomfortable situation given that he's on year one of a max contract that he just signed. Um, but he, he noted that he was like, I just signed a max contract. Um, I'm here. And he does, he does seem happy. Lou Dort, his fellow Canadian is his best friend. Uh, if, if that means anything. So, you know, it's, it's so hard to, to predict. And obviously Thunder fans are a little jaded going back to the summer of 2016 and Kevin Durant and, um, you know, decisions of stars and Durant's case, a superstar uh, can change the course of a franchise. But right now I think they are all in on having Shea leading this rebuild and, and being sort of the face of the new era of Thunder basketball. And I think Shea likes being the guy like there's, there's something to that. He's young. He's played, uh, you know, entering his fifth season of his first four seasons. He was in the playoffs two of those years, his rookie year with the Clippers um, and his second year, that CP year. And since then, you know, he's he's got to be the best player on an NBA team and signed a max deal. And I think right now things are pretty happy. Um, I don't know how long that lasts, but right now I don't think there's anything to, you know, him being the next guy that, that's looked at as far as being on the move. Yeah, I guess the only thing that would pop out to me is the idea of him just getting shut down at the end of the season. But it seems like that plantar fasciitis thing the first year was legitimate. I forget what it was last year that felt Yeah, it was, um, it was an ankle sprain last year and the, the plantar fasciitis, it was a plantar fascia tear. Um, and the, the tell on that, that it was legit is he really wanted to play for team Canada that summer and he didn't even play for them. So, um, he was legitimately out, but I'm with you, like ask as far as like asking him to sit down, I've, I've brought this situation up to other people. It's like, you know, what if he goes crazy this year, he's an all-star and then he's an all NBA contention. It's like, you can't ask that guy to sit out like that could, that could create a, a bad situation there. But, uh, I mean, it would be a good situation, uh, for the thunder but yeah i, I don't think they're gonna go to him again and, and tell him to sit down is he gonna be ready to start the year it looks like it uh they oh. have not confirmed that but it looks like he's gonna be ready um i've seen him on the court war- warming up before these preseason games doesn't have a brace or a sleeve on or anything like that so his knee looks good um yeah and i i think he's gonna be ready this time next week wow okay that's uh, that's good to hear yeah the left mcl i think it was for him mm-hmm. and i guess we never found out exactly when that occurred um but yeah th- that's good to see that he's, he's going to be close there any other kind of playing time battles that we need to, to hit on here and we haven't mentioned a few of these guys like jeremiah robinson earl or uh kendrick williams for example um how do you see that rotation shaking out at least when these guys are are fully formed 
Yeah, it's weird to say there's like, you know, too many guys on a rebuilding team, but there's almost yeah. like too many young guys that, that there's not playing time for all of them. And I think the Thunder is going to be liberal in their use of the G League, sending some guys down like Jalen Williams from Arkansas. Playing time won't be an issue for Robinson Earl. Um, he's easy to sort of look past because, you know, not the most exciting player to talk about, but he's just solid and and they like what he does on both ends. So he's going to play. He's probably going to start. Um, and then uh, Kenrich Williams and Mike Mascala, two veterans who have both wanted to, you know, re-up to stay in Oklahoma City and, and like being here. Uh, and both have been pretty public about that. Um, two guys that are on the trade block, you know, at least as perceived trade candidates each of the last couple of years. Uh, they're going to play. I don't know how much Mescal is going to play, especially late in the year once they really just want to take a look at the young guys. Same with Kenrich Williams. But uh, Kenrich Williams is like, he's he's a really good defensive player and he's a good connector offensively. And he just sort of like makes things work. So when there's a bunch of young guys on the floor who don't know what they're doing, putting Kenrich Williams out there sort of eases everyone's mind. So that's kind of how they use him. Um, Aaron Wiggins, he's sort of Kenrich Williams light in a way where he does a lot of the same things Kenrich does. And, you know, he's a guy that I would watch out for as being a rotation guy yeah, for I this like team. And yeah, and he was a he, the 55th pick in the draft two years ago. Doesn't make a ton of mistakes or try to be more than he is offensively, competes defensively, um, really mature guy. So they like him. The guy I think is going to get shut out of the rotation at some point. And I would even be surprised if he finished the year with the team as Darius Baisley. Mm. He just, you know, he doesn't really fit what they're trying to do, especially from an offensive standpoint. He's a guy that, you know, when they're swinging it around, it comes to Darius Baisley and there's that extra second of delay and like he doesn't quite know what to do with it or you know he he sort of has these aimless drives to the rim that are sort of out of the framework of the their usual offense so I, I'm not sh- quite sure Baisley's entering the last year of his deal um, usually the Thunder doesn't let guys just walk so I could see them doing some sort of deal with him um, but I think we've covered pretty much everyone else except the two way guys quite an endeavor yeah yeah Yeah. I mean even (laughs) even Lindy Waters to me has shown like a little bit as a shooter you know that's where and he's got decent size like keep an eye on him a a little bit Uh, we don't need to talk about him much more uh all right any big strengths and weaknesses that pop out for these guys we haven't talked about yet um i will uh start with the weaknesses one they're super young the youngest team in the nba and that's always a weakness or it's usually a weakness in, in this league um rim protection we talked about that uh although you know better than expected last year uh another i would say is just physicality part of that goes hand in hand with youth like sam mm. preston is uh exit interview was like we have to be more physical and like he made it um a point to do that and i i have no idea if this is related to that but it's really funny because they brought in eugene omarui on a two-way contract he wears 97 he looks like a defensive tackle just out there bludgeoning people and and uh, i'm like okay this is what he means by physicality it's like get more lou dorts on the floor basically so um, I think that is going to be a weakness of the team. As far as strengths, I think just multiple ball handlers um, and really being able to to 
do what they want to do offensively uh, from a system standpoint. Uh, they have a ton of length, and I wrote down under strengths, um, they are tryhards, and that has made them win a few more games than they frankly should have, and that's like the Kenrich Williams, Lou Dort, Aaron Wiggins, like toughness mentality, like they're just young guys who bring it on a lot of nights, and good teams come into Oklahoma City, not the most glamorous place to to spend a night in the NBA, and then they play a rebuilding team in the Thunder, and then the Thunder just can surprise some guys, so um, I think just their effort, and that goes back to Mark Degnault, is, is one of the positives for this team. Yeah, I think you'd have to throw in shooting as a major weakness from the outside. I mentioned that stat with Shea. They haven't really upgraded the shooting at all. Uh, I think Chet would have helped with that. It's, uh, that's part of why it's such a disappointment to me that he's not playing. I think when they bring in Muscala, part of why I mean, he shot it unsustainably well last year, but part of why he had some of the best on-off numbers in the NBA is because he actually could make a shot from center of this team it really opens up some of that driving yeah. but yeah i mean as you look and that, at that's when shea thing. looks so much better like right. when he's playing with mascala out there uh which chet would fill that role as far as like we talked about shea you know passing to guys who were just clank one um mascala shot it well so yes yeah, surrounding them with with shooters is going to be key and right now they're awfully light on shooting and it wouldn't surprise me i mean they were last last year wouldn't it surprise me if they were last again i would be shocked if they weren't like a bottom 10 three-point shooting team this year yeah i mean like we were talking about other than muscala and then their second best shooter is probably lindy waters yeah i think trey man's gonna have a good shooting year um and then with shea it's just about what types of threes he's taking like you said if he if, if he's taking those step back threes that are really tough um his percentage isn't going to be where it was, you know, two years ago where he was playing more of an off-ball role and, and getting easier looks. Yeah, so we'll have to see whether he or Lou Dork can be the first one to hit the scoreboard with a three-pointer. Um, <laughs> you guys, those guys get some arc under the ball. Uh, um, my money's on yeah. Dort. Yeah. By the yeah. way, which Poku has been the opposite of that. He's like the line oh, yeah. drive guy. So <laughs> it's like somewhere in between Poku and Dort is is the key. Um, I would actually say passing for a, a team that's this young is a strength. I mean, if you're going to start Giddy, Shea, and you're talking about maybe starting Poku at the four, it's, a, it's pretty good passing. And uh, Jalen Williams coming in off the bench is a pretty good passer too. So I, I think that's that's something that you, you can point to as maybe you know a relative strength for this group. Um, anything else? Kind of, I sent you that outline ahead of time. It sounds like you did some prep. Is there anything else we didn't hit on that you, you thought is, was really uh, that you wanted? to talk about before we get into predictions no, i think we pretty much i think we pretty much got to all of it awesome all right well their over under is 24 and a half at least when i looked at it a, a couple of weeks ago i thought it, it's pretty close but i ended up going with the under particularly given sam's comments at the end of the season last year and then obviously the chet injury as well where i, I think it's just and then you know watching uh victor Wembignama <laughs> the other day too so i, I think I feel pretty comfortable with that under. I'm trying to get a, a prediction. I mean, I think their their offense is going to be bottom tier. 
uh, for sure. I mean, as I tiered it out, I think they're bottom five, bottom three on offense. It's just they're they're gonna they just don't have quite enough shooting. If they had Chet again, maybe I might feel a little differently about it. Maybe Shea can take a big step forward, but they just have a, a lot of guys who have not been particularly efficient. Giddy is the other guy where if he can find a way to be more efficient, uh, I might feel differently about it. But this is still a rebuilding team. There's a lot of guys who are still trying to establish their careers. So I, I think you probably should bet it, that they're gonna be pretty bad offensively. And then defensively, you know, I, I mean, do you, what's your feeling there? Are, are they, can they get into the teens again, at least when they're good? Yeah, I think they could be, I think they finished up maybe 17th defensively last year. I think they'll be in the mid mid to late teens defensively. Wow. Okay. I mean, I guess, and again, then the, the other variable is how much you're going to discount for what seems like the end of the year is going to be a Jalen Williams uh, from Arkansas is a, might be a little, a, a, a guy who could be an interesting piece there for them down the end of the year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, maybe when they're fully formed, they're 27th on offense and they're 18th on defense. Again, that's still kind of counting on the Dignall alchemy as they bring in ever younger pieces. But I don't, I mean, their personnel isn't appreciably worse than it was last year, right? No, I, I mean, I think it's better. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually going to go with the over and I feel kind of comfortable in it just in watching this team the last couple of years and just like, you know, when their guys have been out there and again, I, I don't want to like put too much stock into the unquantifiable, but like just the way they play hard every night like my my prediction is 28 and 54 so nothing crazy um i actually think from a front office standpoint they would much rather have uh, your prediction than than my prediction as far as lottery positioning goes but the, the way the last couple of years have went like just remember how bad it looked at the end of last season and the the steps that they took to lose games late in the year they still finished with 24 wins um yeah. so you take you take that team you're adding you know i know rookies really make a positive impact but you're adding a couple lottery picks to that um you're baking in some sort of development from shea from giddy from trey man um and i know all of this isn't linear and that they're all going to be automatically better but i just look at it like you know they've got the same team returning with a few additions and young guys who are naturally going to get better so um i think they're going to 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 be take the over uh in that over under um the one the one wrench in all of this is if shay misses any bit of time due to injury i mean uh, that that changes everything because like they're they're a totally different team when he's not out there and the offense i mean the offense is league worst when he's out there but it's uh somehow worse than league worst when he's <laughs> when he's not out there so it really goes to new depth yeah and and, and the one thing i would point out even though they did win the 24 last year they did have the point differential of a 20 win team and Mm -hmm. they've been way above uh, their point differential now again maybe that's indicative of how severely they're tanking down the end of the year but even even when you know i think they were pretty close to 500 with shea in the lineup two years ago i think like 17 and 19 something like that if memory serves and they still were punching way above their point differential even at that time so i think that's i'm not sure i'm buying these guys as like you know a chris paul level a clutch team uh year after year so i, I think there's no reason to believe that's necessarily going to continue 
so I I think that's that's probably the one thing I would point to where even if they do win four more games than they did last year that you still hit the under. I'm going to go with 23 wins for this group. And again, I think if they if they had more of kind of the approach that like Detroit was taking this year, which I actually don't advocate, I'm, I think they're doing the right thing. That's what the incentives are. And they didn't embark on this project to win three more games. Nobody's going to give a shit about that five years from now when they get another good player in the draft. So they're doing the right thing. But yeah, I'm going to go with 23 wins for this group. But I think if I had more belief that they're going to try all year, I would be more along the lines of where you are, I think. Yeah, it's funny when you mention point differential, my mind always goes back to a late December game at Memphis when they lost by 73 points. I got to see NBA <laughs> history that night. Without the John, big... they didn't even have John in that game. Yeah, it was, it was insane. I was like, it's one of those games where it's like, okay, I'm going to get a head start on my story. You know, don't really need to watch every possession of the fourth quarter. And then you're starting to to Google, okay, what's the worst loss in NBA history? And then you're like, okay, I might I might be at it right now. It's it's going to be this game. And uh, I think Santi Aldama was like a plus 50-something that night. And it, it, was, it was nuts. Santi Aldama. Wow. All right. That's, uh... <laughs> I had to sneak that in. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this was really fun. I'm, I'm glad this is the first time we've ever talked to, and met. So I, I really enjoyed doing this. Thanks for taking a flyer on the show, even, even though we don't know each other. And uh, I'd be uh, glad to return the favor in whatever way I can, because uh, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks a lot, Nate. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. These are the Monday, October 17th, 2022. Daily Dunks. The Rockets are signing Kevin Porter Jr. to a unique rookie-scaled contract extension. The deal has been reported at $82.5 million over four years, but the base salary sounds like it's closer to $71 million. And just $15.89 million is guaranteed, according to Sham Sharanya of The Athletic. According to Bobby Marks of ESPN, the first season is fully guaranteed. Then, the summer before the second season, Houston must decide whether to guarantee the second and third seasons. Before the third season, Houston must decide whether to guarantee the fourth season. As of now, the final three years are fully unguaranteed per marks. Certain benchmarks would increase the guarantees. Marks also reports the deal contains incentives, which makes sense. With a $15.89 million starting salary, the largest value over four years would be just over $71 million. Porter is 22 and highly talented. He also got ran out of Cleveland for throwing a food-throwing tantrum in the Cavaliers' locker room and left a January Rockets game at halftime following an argument with an assistant coach. I see why Houston valued getting unprecedented team control over Porter without having to guarantee his salaries. 
But the Rockets also paid for the privilege. In our mock rookie extensions podcast, we discussed a deal in the $13 million to $14 million range. By giving Porter a salary north of $17 million per year, Houston gets more outs to walk away if Porter isn't worth that cost. There's a decent chance these will be difficult guaranteed decisions in 2024 and 2025. There's no middle ground. The Rockets will either pay Porter his full salary or let him become a free agent. Which is why these deals aren't as team-friendly as sometimes portrayed. Nasir Little is signing a four-year, $28 million extension with the Trailblazers, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. That's shockingly low. In our Mock Rookie Extension podcast, I offered twice that, and Nate rejected it. Little is coming off injury and struggled in the preseason, losing the starting small forward job to Josh Hart. But Little is just 22, showed improvement before getting hurt last season, and profiles physically athletically as the type of wing who's always in high demand. I wonder whether Little's health issues remain a major issue. The Warriors signed Jordan Poole to a four-year extension worth $123 million to $140 million. Nate and Danny covered the deal in much greater depth on the podcast. The updated cap sheets include this extension and Golden State's potentially exorbitant luxury tax bill in 2024. Nate and Danny also extensively covered Andrew Wiggins' four-year $109 million extension with the Warriors. One additional thought. Count me among the many who, incorrectly, thought Golden State didn't get enough in 2020 for trading D'Angelo Russell for Wiggins, who was considered to have one of the NBA's worst contracts. But it says something. Wiggins, even after making his first All-Star team, even after he stepped up in the NBA Finals, even with the salary cap set to jump under new national TV deals, is taking a significant pay cut onto this extension. Wiggins is earning more than $33 million this season, the final year of his max extension with the Timberwolves. On his new extension with the Warriors, he'll earn $27.25 million per year. He probably took a discount to stay in Golden State where he seems happy, but that still puts his current contract into perspective. Grizzlies big Brandon Clark is signing a four-year $50 million extension, plus an additional $2 million in unlikely incentives per Bobby Marks of ESPN. This is close to what we negotiated on the mock rookie extensions pod. Our deal was also worth up to $52 million over four years, but rather than include annual incentives, the fourth season wasn't fully guaranteed. Clark, who'll turn 27 before beginning this extension, is old for his draft class. But he has nice feel for the game and a high motor, taking advantage of his leaping ability. Not only does Clark jump high, he's quick off the ground. He grabs lots of offensive rebounds, blocks some shots, and even uses elevation on his floater. Jordan Poole spoke for the first time since getting punched in the face by Draymond Green. Poole, who just signed his extension opened his press conference by trying to preemptively shut down green questions. In regards to the Draymond situation, um, you know, he apologized and um, professional. You know, we plan on handling ourselves that way. We're here to play basketball and, um, you know, everybody in the locker room and on our team knows what it takes to win a championship. Um, and we're going to do that on the court, you know, and I mean, that's really all I have. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 